Support for KBUT is brought to you by Townie Books and Rumors Coffee and Tea House, serving Allegro organic coffee and fine loose-leaf teas. Townie Books stocks new books and can special order anything. Drink coffee, read books, fight evil. Welcome to a special edition of the West Elk Word. My name's Christopher Biddle, filling in for Tony Todd. Today we bring you a recording of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center's Fireside Chat event, in which they invited historian Dwayne Vandenbush, no stranger to KBUT listeners, to talk about historical avalanches in the Gunnison country. I sat down with Ian Havlick, a forecaster for the Crested Butte Avalanche Center, who helped to launch the series. So tell me a little bit about why uh, you asked Mr. Vandenbush to come down uh, and talk about historical avalanches in the Gunnison country. So many people in the passage of time and the newcomers to the valley and even longtime locals haven't heard these stories and, and the really deep and sometimes dark history of avalanches in these early days of Crest Butte, late 1800s, early 1900s people crawling around the hills, prospecting, um, trains rolling up to Kebler Pass and up the Slate River and, and into the Black Canyon. And so I knew that he had some knowledge of past avalanches that made news back then. So I asked him to come and share it in a fireside chat setting. And it was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, without any further ado, Mr. Dwayne Vandenbush. The avalanches that have occurred in Colorado, and especially in the mountains of Colorado, are spoken of in hushed terms by a lot of the people who lived here. And I'm going to give you some of the hushed terms. Big Mike, the Seven Sisters, East Riverside, the Ferguson, and the Devil's Punch Bowls. When people talked about those avalanches year after year after year, they spoke in hushed terms. From 1875 to 1945, 70 years, there have been 250 documented deaths in the northern and central mountains of Colorado. That does not include the San Juan. That does not include the Sangre de Cristos. That does include Clear Creek, Aspen, Breckenridge, Leadville, the Gunnison Country, Monarch, and the Sawatch Range, which of course is primarily Leadville. 41% of all those deaths occurred in February. The winters of 1882-83 and 1883-84 produced 28% of all the deaths. The winter of 1898-99 had 29 people killed in avalanches. Very early in the Gunnison country, and I took this right out of the Elk Mountain Pilot, I'm kind of quoting, but not all the way. Miners around Crested Butte on their way to work in the morning often strapped sticks of dynamite to their legs under their trousers to keep the explosives warm. When it was necessary to cross a potential avalanche path, the miners would put a few sticks on long poles and detonate them. The concussion often caused the slide to run. They weren't pikers in those days. 
beginning with miners in the 1870s. You know, a whole bunch of avalanches before people came into this area, but, you know, were anybody here to document them? Uh, avalanches have killed between seven and eight people a year. Often a lot more in one year, and then a weak year, you, you didn't have that many. They have included mailmen, miners, railroad men, and those just out for recreation. The heavy snow that we have in this area and other areas like this in Colorado, four to 500 inches a year. I want to remind everybody that in the winter of 2007 and 8, Gunnison set the all-time record of 103 inches of snow in Gunnison. Crested Butte set the all-time record of 428 inches in Crested Butte ski area. And Monarch set an all-time record of 528 inches at the Monarch ski area. So when you get that amount of snow and very steep mountain terrain and high winds and skiing being the only way to get around in the winter prior to railroads, you're going to have a lot of people die in what became known as white death. That's what the newspapers called it. In late 1881, a mailman named Al Adair, carrying the mail from Crested Butte to Aspen over Pearl Pass, was killed by a slide right off Pearl Pass, just above Ashcroft. Body was not discovered or found until six months went by. On January 31st, 1883, at 4 a.m., an avalanche smashed into the anthracite boarding house killing six miners and injuring 15. That is what the locals call Cloud City. Smith Hill is where the guys lived. The tram ran down to Anthracite. Denver and Rio Grande picked up the coal at the tramway. Six people died, 15 injured in that massive slide. On the same day, three hours before that, a slide came off Mount Owen above Irwin and hit a shaft house shaft houses of the Durango, Ruby Chief, Sheik, and Oaks Mines, killing three and burying seven who were dug out alive. The slide crossed a steep gulch, rose over a hill, and descended a second slope to reach the buildings. On March the 10th, 1884, after two weeks of snow, an avalanche roared off Granite Peak, that's right above the headwaters of, the, of Tamichi Creek at a little mining town called Tamichi, hit the Magna Carta mine buildings, wiping them out and piling up snow 100 feet deep. On March the 10th, 1884, same day, five men were killed at Carey's Camp in Conundrum Gulch. 33 days later, a group of people went in to see if they could pick up some things that had been buried. There was no danger. And when they went in there, they found a dog named Bruiser who was still alive, who had been buried underneath the table protecting him. 33 days in a row and Bruiser survives. Yes. Conundrum, just off Conundrum Pass. On the same day in 1884, March the 4th was, uh, March the 10th was a big day in 84, Woodstock, a little mining camp along the Denver South Park and Pacific Railroad, was hit with a massive, massive avalanche that is the worst avalanche in terms of death in the history of Colorado. At a boarding house down there, water tank down there, 
and they had cut timber above it for mine props, railroad uh, you know, uh, cabins, and so on. And they had a big bunch of lumber piled up just above Woodstock. And then the train made the Sherrod Curve and headed for the Alpine Tunnel. And it stalled in a big drift. And it was trying to get out. And the shimmering of the train going back and forth released an avalanche which tore down, hit Woodstock, killed 14 people, wiped out the water tank and all the buildings, and killed six children of the cook, Mrs. Marcella Doyle. And I've got pictures of them carrying the bodies out on sleds. Woodstock never again appeared. It was done forever. The worst avalanche in Colorado history in terms of deaths. March the 10th, 1884. One man, Joe Rivergay, a miner, they couldn't find him. He found 13 people, but not him. In July, a stinking smell came from the water tank. One of the water tanks there was still up. And they investigated, and there was Joe Rivergay in the water and the snow in the water tank where he had been for about four months. And I'll, lead you, I'll leave you to your imagination on the smell. <laughs> Al Johnson, the famous mail carrier between Crested Butte and Crystal, often skied over avalanches that came off of the, the hills above Emerald Lake, and he often skied on top of avalanches that hit the devil's punch bowls. Now, I've skied that area four times, always with guys better than me, but we always skied it in the spring of the year when everything was set up. But I can tell you, even in March or April, I was always happy to get through Emerald Lake and through the Devil's Punch Bowls, even though everything was set up, because it, that stuff vomits avalanches. And anybody from around here knows that that road isn't open and sometimes it's covered up by 100 feet of snow big avalanche shoots. In February of 1891, an avalanche roared off Ruby Peak above Irwin and killed four. On March the 2nd, 1899, the town of Tamichi was hit again. Fifteen years earlier, it wiped out the Magna Carta Tunnel. This time, a slide came off of Granite Mountain, wiped out Tamichi forever, killed four people, and buried everybody under 200 feet of snow. Their bodies were not recovered until June. That's Tamichi's slide. Tamichi, again, never appeared on the map. Wiped out forever. Woodstock wiped out forever. Avalanches and rock slides were also very common in the Black Canyon. But the Denver and Rio Grande Narrow Gauge Railroad went into the canyon at Sapanero, and came out of the canyon at Cimarron, running along the Gunnison River in the head of the canyon, walls 2,000 feet high. And it came out at Cimarron because there was no way it could go the rest of the way through the gorge and all the way out to Lazier. 43 feet a mile, the Gunnison River dropped in the Black Canyon, walls 2,000 feet high. The canyon was referred to as a railroader's hell. An engineer named Lou Lathrop, writing about it in 1883, declared, quote, The Black Canyon's perpendicular walls, especially the north slopes, 
began avalanching great snow slides down over the track and into the river. Imagine these tiny narrow gauge trains dragging coaches through that 2,000 foot deep chasm, taking chances on being smashed into matchwood by thundering snow slides. In 1884, the Gunnison Review Press commented on the Black Canyon, quote, the fatality of engineers in the Black Canyon during the past year has been enormous. In March of 1916, another incident, two people are killed and 47 marooned in the Black Canyon for 72 hours. The paper said, the thaw had caused the walls of the canyons to vomit thousands of, of, of uh, snow slides. One of the guys killed was a captain of the Pueblo Centennial basketball team, killed in the avalanche. The other guy was an engineer named Pete Brack. Train wiped out, dumped into the Gunnison River. On February the 20th, 1902, as I stray a little from the Gunnison country, an avalanche occurred at the Liberty Bell Mine above Telluride. A rescue crew went up. Avalanche hit them. Second rescue crew went up. Avalanche hit them. And when it was all over on February the 2nd, 19 people were dead in the initial snow slide and two rescue parties that were hit trying to rescue people from that Liberty Bell. In January of 1886, a massive avalanche in Poverty Gulch smashed into the Excelsior Mine buildings and killed three men. 18 years later, in February of 1904, nine men working at the Augusta Mine at the head of Poverty Gulch were very scared because of reoccurring avalanches all around them, and they decided that they would go to Crested Butte on skis after two more feet of snow had fallen. One mile below the mine, they were hit with a massive slide that killed six and carried three of them a quarter of a mile before they were dug out. On February the 5th, 1907, a massive avalanche hit the town of Monarch, east side Monarch Pass, right where the, the big limestone quarry is today. Killed seven, wiped out all the buildings, Never again did Monarch exist. Just like Tamichi, just like Woodstock, gone forever. A relief Denver and Rio Grande train could only get to Garfield. And then all the rescuers had to walk a mile and a half up to Monarch to see if they could rescue some of the people. At the Buckley Mine, about a mile south of Crested Butte, March 1912, a huge avalanche came off Mount Whetstone carrying 10 men 500 feet down the tramway, killing one. The Marble Finishing Mill, the great town of Marble, located right along Crystal Creek, producing the marble for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument. Slides came off White House Mountain, and eventually the Marble Company built a 50-foot-high retaining wall built out of excess marble. The snow hit that wall and was deflected back into the Crystal River. However, 
after heavy snow and three more avalanches in January 1916, which caused avalanches to go over the wall and cave in the roof of the finishing mill, they put another 15 feet of marble up there, now with 65 feet retaining wall to keep the avalanches from hitting the finishing mill. 1961, Walt Disney photographer near Uray, not far from Red Mountain Pass, is filming 200 yards up the other side of Highway 550. Now they show this as some of the uh, avalanche training. And the Forest Service shot a shell to cause an avalanche. And the avalanche came down the mountain, filled up the uncompagre, came 200 yards up the other side of the hill, and all you can see with that moving camera, with that Disney photographer, is white burying him and killing him 200 yards up the other side of the hill. Now, when I skied over to Aspen over uh, the pass, over East Maroon Pass, and a lot of you folks have done the same thing, I have often, in April, when we usually go over, or, or later, skied over there, but usually later, I have seen avalanches do the same thing snapping big trees off and coming up 200, 300 yards up the other side of the hill on Maroon Creek. I mean, nobody can really gauge the power of those kind of avalanches. In 1963, the Reverend Marvin Hudson was going from Eureta Silverton to preach that Sunday with his two daughters, hit by the East Riverside slide. Everybody killed, his daughter not found until June in the Uncompagre River, about 300 feet down. A snowplow driver killed 1970s. His snowplow swept off by the East Riverside Slide. Today, as you work your way up Red Mountain Pass, you look on the left side of the road and you'll see four crosses. Three for the Reverend Marvin Hudson and his daughters, one for the snowplow driver. The East Riverside Slide was the worst slide over a highway in the United States. And it killed dozens of people throughout history, leading the highway department to build a tunnel. And today, when that slide comes down, it goes right over the cement tunnel. And it no longer kills people. I had a great privilege uh, on Wednesday. I went up to... Steamboat Springs to give a slide talk on the history of skiing for their winter carnival. And uh, one of the guys that I remember from a long time ago is Loris Werner. And Loris Werner is Buddy Werner's brother. And a great chance to ski with Loris for the whole day, uh, eight inches of powder. That's another story, but, <laughs> and I didn't know how he'd feel about this. But they got a nice plaque for Buddy Werner. And when you get up there on Buddy's Run, everybody takes their ski pole and taps the plaque, which Loris did. We weren't going to do it unless he did, because we didn't know how he felt about it. On April the 12th, 1964, Buddy Werner is skiing in Valseline, Switzerland, with Willy Bogner making a promotional movie. And an avalanche, with the people on the chairlift watching this, an avalanche tore away. And there were 15 people on the hill. 13 of them, including Wagner, were off to the side. 
Buddy Werner was in the path of the slide with a world-class downhiller had won a bronze medal in the downhill from Germany named Barbie Hanneberger. And before the horrified people watching on the chairlift, Werner and Henneberger, Henneberger skied for their lives with an avalanche right behind them, reaching probably 65, 70 miles an hour and 20 feet from safety. The avalanche was so big that a side avalanche hit him and buried him. Bobby Henneberger died of suffocation. Buddy Werner died of a stroke. Buried in nine feet of snow. They brought him back to Steamboat Springs, changed the name of the mountain from Storm Mountain to Mount Werner, and everybody, I mean, all of his friends in Europe showed up for the funeral. Olympic guy showed up for the funeral. Because... Buddy Werner, at the age of 21, won a lot of races in Europe before the World Cup even started, but he won the downhill, and I'll lower my voice when I say it, at Kitzbühel, the Hanenkamm downhill in Kitzbühel at the age of 21. Now, I've walked that course. They wouldn't get me on a pair of skis on that course, even going two miles an hour. Because when you come out of the head house, you're going 60 miles an hour in four seconds. You're just off the edge of a cliff, and then you've got to make a hard left-hand turn. Buddy Werner won that race at the age of 21. And they say in Austria, and it's true, when you win at Kitzbühel, you will never again buy a meal or a drink in all of Austria. <laughs> that was the sad story of the late and the great Buddy Werner. Early days on the North Face. Oh, you don't even know this, do you, Ian? I'm gonna tell you a little story right now. <laughs> it is the winter of 1969 and 70. And the ski patrol leader, Mike Burns, and the snow ranger in charge of safety on the mountain, Shami Samarak, have looked at maps. And they have seen three big bowls all facing north on the other side of an area called the Hawk's Nest. So in December of 1969, they all go up there to have a look. And here they are standing right on top of what we call, or what I used to call, the Hawk's Nest. And they threw a charge and nothing happened. Now, Mike Bernshami Samarak and three other ski patrollers are on this uh, expedition. And then when nothing happened, they cut the slope, and then they safely skied the first two bowls. Whereupon, Shami Samarak, looking at the last bowl, said, Boys, we, met never, we better not ski that last steep. We I say it again. <laughs> we better not ski that last steep, otherwise we're going to have to walk out. <laughs> and they didn't. And now you know how the last steep got its name. And we still call that the last steep. That's just the first part of the story. Four days later, still in December of 69, patrolman John Burns and two ski instructors went back and they found out that the upper bowl had to completely slid. So they left. February 1970, about two months later, Mike Burns, fellow patrolman Cotton Harris, and Doug Bazell decided they would ski all three bowls. 
Burns threw a one-pound charge at the head of the top bowl and nothing happened. Bazell then stepped out on the slope and started a cut. In an instant, everything below him fractured and slid to the bottom of the last steep. Bazell sidestepped to the top. <laughs> the two other guys, Cotton Harris and Mike Burns, Mike Burns told me, and I just talked to Mike tonight to make sure I said it right, not a word was said, it was dead quiet as they did this. <laughs> and they skied away. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the North Face got open. Now, it wasn't open that year. But the next year, in 1970 and 71, because of better control and earlier control, people began to ski the North Face. And I was lucky enough to be one of the 15 or 20 people who skied it a lot. You'd get off the gondola, you would ski like hell on that road, and then you would kind of skate right above, you know, where uh, Paradise Bowl is, and then you'd skate and you'd come to the hawk's nest. No moguls, fresh powder. Now I had a, a, I had a good story going because I was working on my book on the Gunnison Country and I'd ride up with the patrol, 10 to 8. And then we would go and ski Phoenix Bowl and I always would tell them, now I gotta take pictures of you guys skiing in Phoenix Bowl. So here goes Vandenbush, first tracks down Phoenix Bowl. They never caught on. They never caught on to that. Wasn't that smart? <laughs> <laughs> we also had, I had a good friend named Steve Monfredo, and when the meeting was over, Monfredo would say, come on with me, we're going to ski, and, and uh, they'd open up the East River chair, or the Paradise chair, I forget what it was, and uh, I remember him taking me down a run called Rooster Tail, I don't even know where the hell it is today, but it was dicey skiing, we had beepers on, and one of the ski patrolmen came up to me about the second time he did this, and he said, Van Bush, we're, we're starting to wonder about you. Nobody, none of us would ski with Monfredo at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we got Fredo's run, and I think most of you know the great story of Steve Monfredo, a, a finer gentleman never lived, and a great friend to, to about everybody. That takes care of the North Face. I've got a slide in the 1970s, taken by somebody else, Telluride, main drag. People are walking down the main drag and a tremendous avalanche came off Black Bear Pass. And the slide shows the avalanche in full flight, coming down all the way to the bottom. During the winter of 87-88, where's Fitzy? Fitzy, where are you? Was it 87-88, somewhere around there, right? We were, we were skiing with one of my great runners, Lisa Pike Fitzgerald then, and uh, we're getting ready to leave, and an avalanche came off above three seasons and killed a little boy from Texas in the parking lot. And you want to know why they got that big fence above there today? I just told you. In the parking lot. And it buried his brother too, but they got his brother out just when they were getting ready to leave. Mount Emmons. I had one guy tell me one time that that was one of the worst avalanche areas in Colorado. 
And I remember one year it went right over the road and took out I don't know how many snowmobiles. It can go all the way and has gone all the way. Park Cone. You want to see a great avalanche shoot? Take a good look at Park Cone, which is located not far from Tin Cup. The winner of 1898-99 was called the winner of the big snow. Five feet fell in two weeks in Leadville. In February of 99, the road from crystal to marble was under 10 to 50 feet of snow and temperatures dropped to 35 degrees below zero. Old timers said that the winners of 1871 and two and 1883 and 84 were as bad. In the early 1980s, and I can't, I'm chagrined, I can't remember his last name. A Western State student, first name is Bob, was skiing on Resurrection, left side coming down. And about uh, two thirds of the way down, as you come down, there's kind of a, a little opening in the trees. And an avalanche caught him and killed him. He looked to be okay in the hospital, but he had an air bubble in his, in his uh, heart area and it killed him. So things can happen in bounds as well as out of bounds. The avalanches, they say, never sleep. And it's an absolute pleasure for me. I'm gonna get together with Ian. I wanna do this again when I got some slides to show. So thank you very much for coming. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to a special edition of the West Elk Word. We just heard from Dr. Dwayne Vandenbush speaking at the Crested Butte Mountain Heritage Museum on Wednesday, February 13th as part of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center's Fireside Chat Series. I'm Christopher Biddle. You're listening to KBUT. Think Radio is up next, so stay tuned. Stay tuned.